0: Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David.
1: Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. We take a look at the issues both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth. And action on the part of the listener. Our prayer here is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Welcome back. Welcome back. I know it's been a minute. But I decided to take my time and try and give you some quality Podcasting. All right, so today we're going to take a little look at the uh, continuation on looking at covenants. Last time we looked at the Sinai covenant, and we saw that that was the one covenant, at least, that I'm going to be talking about, where there were conditions as to whether or not, um, there were some things that you had to do to keep the covenant. And we also discovered that Israel failed miserably, and So will we? In fact, everybody has failed at keeping that covenant. And so you can't claim Deuteronomy 28 as your own. At least I wouldn't. Because in effect, if you're going to go down that route, you're putting a curse on yourself. Because once you break one law, as far as the scriptures are concerned, you've broken them all. So, uh, yeah. Good luck with that one. But there are all the other covenants it's God not requiring little or next to nothing for us to do because he realized that we're frail and that we're going to mess up. So now we come to the Davidic covenant and that's in second Samuel chapter seven. We'll take a little stroll through there and look at it uh, and see, you know, what the Davidic covenant was all about. And remember now all these covenants that God is making ultimately have to do with the salvation of the world, the saving of the soul and, and, uh, Eventually setting things up for uh, Jesus Christ when he gets here. So that's what all the covenants are about. That's the whole objective. The whole point is getting the church, getting the world ready to receive Christ and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. So all these covenants tie into that and are not separate from that. That's the whole reason why he's doing it. So, but in the meantime, until Christ comes and makes the perfect sacrifice, well, well, Until such time, God has to keep things going. Now, some of us are wondering and saying to yourself, wow, you know, it seems like God's always angry and just killing people. And and he's trying to find ways to not kill us. You got to understand, before God is anything, he is holy. And that even, in a sense, supersedes love. God's holiness, his perfection. The Bible says that God is of holier eyes than to behold iniquity. God has to judge sin. He has to judge iniquity. Or he would not be righteous for one thing. Uh, So this is not like a personal vendetta. uh, Whereas I'm just going to be mean for the sake of being mean. It's not even about being mean. It's about justice and maintaining, uh, doing what's in in the best interest of all of creation. And it's in the best interest of all creation for sin to be dealt with. We cannot go unpunished. Um, We all know what happens when you don't discipline kids. They they spoil them and they grow up and become tyrants, etc. So sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be checked. And God is the only one righteous enough and holy, holy enough to make said judgments and to determine when things need to be judged. But for the most part, On the other side of that coin is god is love now god has to reconcile his love with his justice and holiness and that's why it says i think in in one of the psalms says righteousness justice and mercy have kissed because god found a way to fix that which ultimately is in christ jesus and i say fix it not so much because um something was broken uh, on god's end but something was broken on our end which meant god had now uh as a judge of of the all the earth right god told abraham he said uh rather abraham said to god shall not the judge of all the earth do right that's in genesis uh chapter seventeen, eighteen, when he's interceding for sodom and Gomorrah, chapter 18 of genesis shall not the judge of all the earth do right so god is going to do right and if god's going to do right when we sin then there must be justice. There must be judgment. But God's love looks upon man and says, wow, this guy is weak and he's in a mess. I made hell for the devil and his angels. I didn't make it for humanity. And so God now decides, let me redeem them. But in the process of the, while the redemptive process is still waiting to get ramped up to full steam, God creates covenants uh, and blood sacrifices with the priests Just to stay the hand of God to where he doesn't have to bring justice immediately upon the land. He can spare his people and eventually spare the entire world. Or at least those who uh, come to him by faith. And that's what covenants are about. So that's it there in a nutshell. So every covenant you're going to see is going to tie back to the redemptive work of Christ. Every last one of them. So let's take a little look at the Davidic covenant and see the significance of it. Now, as we all know, David was, um, was an ancestor of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, biological ancestor. So God is going to bring the Messiah through the Davidic line, through King David. But guess what? If you go through the line of King David, a lot of his sons who sat on the throne after him, some of them were extremely wicked and horrible uh as kings in fact the golden age of israel was under david and solomon and even solomon messed up god told him you know no fast cars and women don't get chariots and a lot of women which he did exactly the opposite he ended up building temples to foreign gods and as a result god came to him and said you know i would take the kingdom from you but because of the covenant i have with your father david you see what i'm saying god would have came and and may have may even have killed solomon judged him removed him from being king and then went and got somebody else a, a different family but the covenant that he made with david presented prevented god from killing solomon prevented god from taking the kingdom from him so god said to solomon only for the sake of your father David, who I haven't wrenched the kingdom from you. But I will, I will split the kingdom in the next generation, which he did. Um, Solomon's son came in and said, My father chastised you with a whip, so I'm going to use scorpions. The ten tribes to the to the uh, north said, Oh yeah, we're we we're, we're we're gonna split. And Israel got cut in half: ten tribes to the north, Judah and Benjamin to the south. But God kept that wicked king on the throne. And, and all the way through the Davidic line, wicked kings, some of them were not very good. And they sat on that throne there. But nonetheless, because of David, God allowed them to reign and to rule for a short, or a certain span of time. And he kept his promise to David all the way down towards to the Messiah. And that's why he did it. Otherwise, the Davidic line would have been cut off and then Christ would not then have been the descendant of of, uh king david also in addition to that in the prophecy that was given in the book of genesis i believe it's chapter 39 when joseph was blessing his sons and he got to the son judah he said the scepter shall not depart from judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until shiloh come and that judah was to be the ruling tribe and so um even though uh Saul, who was a Benjamite, ruled for a little bit. And ironically, being a Benjamite, where did Benjamin go? Benjamin married into Judah, and he got absorbed by the tribe of Judah. So in a sense, that was still along the same lines. But having said that, um, God kept his promise. And that's why the Davidic covenant. But let's take a look at that and see if you can find Christ in there. He's in there. And in fact, you can find Christ in all the covenants. And uh, even in the Sinai covenant. He's there. The Bible says the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So if you follow that Sinai covenant correctly, eventually it'll bring you to Christ. Schoolmaster. You're you fall on your knees and repent and say, Oh God, am I jacked up or what? So let's take a little stroll here second samuel chapter seven and look at the king davidic covenant and i'll kind of show you how this works now when david the king lived in his house the lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies the king said to nathan see now i dwell in a house of cedar but the ark of god dwells in in a tent and nathan said to the king go and do all that is in your heart for the lord is with you okay verse four but the same night the word of the lord came to nathan go and tell my servant david thus says the lord would you build me a house to dwell in i have not lived in a house since the day i brought up the people of israel from egypt to this day but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you from the pastor from following the sheep that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. Here it is. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. See that? First, he goes from offspring, plural, to his kingdom. That's referring to Christ. He will establish his kingdom. Singular, Christ. That's referring to Christ. Establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. That's the church. Now we know Solomon also built the house. But if you look for Christ in here, that's what we're looking for is for Christ. And the church is is the house that, that Christ is building. And he's the one that receives the kingdom. Establishes the kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Again, referring to Christ forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And then it stops there. And then he goes on to dealing with his offspring. He says, when he commits iniquity, talking about David's offspring, when they sin, because God sees they're going to mess up, and some of them more horribly, I will discipline him with the rod of men. I will use men to discipline him. In other words, God would send foreign powers and kingdoms to judge uh, Judah and Israel when they sinned. With the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as i took it from saul whom i put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me here it is god's telling david even in the even in the in the face of blatant sin even after god sends nations like babylon and others to judge them and take them into captivity after all of that, right on down to the Roman Empire and beyond. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. That's the Div- Davidic covenant. Again. God makes a covenant with David and promises that your kingdom is going to be for eternal. It's going to last forever. So one of your descendants is going to sit on your throne, which in this case is Jesus. And he will establish the kingdom forever. That's Christ. Got that? Now, in the event of sin, while we're getting there, there's going to be some sin. Some of your offspring are going to do some really bad things. I will judge them. I will use nations to, to, to bring them to heal. But I will not allow them to be cut off. I will not allow them to be destroyed. And in the fullness of time, I will return them to the land. And they will return them to me as well. And that's the Davidic covenant in a nutshell. or well, that was easy. Yeah, so that's what God had promised King David. The Davidic covenant. And that's unconditional. So with no conditions, no pre- preconditions put on king david nothing where god says to him well you know only under these circumstances no uh-uh it didn't matter i was even david himself messed up he numbered the people he wasn't supposed to do that and a lot of people died because of it um we all know about Bathsheba. he murdered uriah and committed adultery with his wife we know how that went And we also know of King David when he was when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back he didn't do it properly the ark was falling off the cart and the guy touched it and he died and then David said, "Oh wait a minute let me find out how maybe what did we do wrong So he goes to the priest and he reads the law and he discovers that only the priest is supposed to carry the ark and that's when David gets the priest and sends him out you know to carry the Ark of the Covenant back. Because no one else was supposed to touch it. That was the whole point. It wasn't being done properly. All right. So, that is the Davidic covenant.
0: Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up. And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord's...
1: Amen. We're looking at the establishment of the the Levitical priesthood. God told uh, Moses in the beginning of that chapter, by the way, that's... uh, That's in Exodus chapter 19, I believe it is. Sorry, Exodus 24. That was Exodus 24. And God tells them to come up on the mountain, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, and bring the 70 men with you. That's the first Sanhedrin, the elders, those who ran helped Moses uh, do the administrative work of running the nation and they ate and they drank and they saw at least the feet of god they didn't see anything else but they saw his feet later on nahab and abihu ended up getting killed offering strange fire on the altar but the job of the priesthood the levitical priesthood their job was to offer a sacrifice uh and they had specific things that they had to do to offer sacrifice so that god would spare the nation and of course being sinners themselves they had to make sacrifice for themselves as well they had to cleanse and, pre- and prepare themselves and god gave them various rituals to do so that he would not have to destroy uh, all the people along with um the priest and we all know about the rope that was tied around the priest so when he went to make his offering in the holy of holies this is for the high priest and if he wasn't right with God, he got struck dead. Well, nobody can go in there to get him because God's in there. You go in there to pick him up, and you, you're all dead. So the bodies, the bodies would be piling up. So they had a rope tied around you, and they, they grab the rope and they tug your dead body out, and say, "Oh well, got to get another high priest." But the point of that is that in the biblical priesthood it will sustain. Between God and the judgment of God upon the nation and upon the people and upon themselves. That was their one job. And Levitical, and let me say this about Levit- tell me a few things about a Levitical priesthood. Levit- the Levites had no inheritance in Israel, they got no land, they couldn't own property, they couldn't own anything. This is why the tithes went to the priests because they had no. Uh, inheritance in israel so they were even able to eat part of the sacrifice after the sacrifice was made and that was how they got their food that was how they got their clothing through the people tithing and to sustain the priesthood now today people take take that priesthood that uh, idea of concept of tithing and you see these guys um buying property getting jets and flying all over the world living like fat cats uh if you're going to claim that tithing to support you as a, as a priest of god which by the way there are these these people are not the priests of god the entire church has become priests but only after the order of melchizedek not after the levitical priesthood we'll see that a little a little later on well the priest couldn't own anything they had no they had no inheritance so if you're going to claim Levitical priesthood, then in addition to that, now you have to give up all your plans and your land and everything. Own nothing, and just you know, um, just use the bare minimum of those ties and offerings to to uh, to exist. But you can't own anything. So if you're going to go down that road, a lot of pastors and preachers who are claiming to be Levites will stop claiming that. Okay, your your pastor is not a not a Levite. He does something similar to the Levite in the exp, exposition of the word, praying for people, etc., keeping watch for your souls, and taking spiritual care of of God's people. But he's not a Levite. All right, put that out of your head. He's a pastor. It's a whole different thing God God has going on there. Pastors and priests are not the same thing. And the Levitical priesthood was to stand between the the judgment of God and the people. They were intercessors. That's what it means to intercede. It's not just praying, but praying in such a fashion that the hand of God is staged from judging and bringing uh, judgment upon the, the people. So that's the most important thing to look at in terms of the Levitical priesthood. And i'm not going to drag this uh series because again i'm just trying to whet your appetite here and get you into the scriptures a little bit to look at it um now also along with that we have in the book of malachi let's look at just a little mm-hmm. few tidbits about the mm-hmm. priests here um yeah when you get down to malachi we're talks about bring all the ties into the storehouse yeah blah 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 um you know those that promise in malachi was about the priests and meeting the needs of the priests and that's why god wanted all the ties to be brought into the storehouse because that be, but if you go to that first chapter the people were bringing The lame, the the worst part of their flock, like, oh, this lamb is sick. We can kill him and give him up to God. And God is saying, no, you're supposed to bring me the fatted calf. I want the best of your herd and your flock, the best of everything that you have when you come before me. And the people weren't doing that. And that's why God talked about bringing all the tithes into the storehouse and the very meat in his house. So that the Levites would have what they needed to exist. But again, the Levites could not own property. Okay, they could not build wealth. That's the whole point. And they were scattered in Israel because through they were throughout the nation, so that every tribe would have access to the Levitical priesthood if they needed access to the priesthood. If they needed to make a sin offering or they did something wrong or something happened and they didn't want to come under the judgment of God, they could find a priest and they would be available to do says whatever sacrifice was necessary to keep God from. Bringing judgment upon the land. That's the Levitical or the priestly covenant that God made, but He made it with with the Levites and the high priests were the descendants of the sons of Aaron and his sons and his offspring. And so that's the Levitical priesthood. And then we, but that priesthood today is defunct except for some things that happen in the end times pertaining to the nation of Israel, which they have not yet accepted Christ as Messiah. So as far as they're concerned, the Levitical priesthood is still in effect. We get that. But as far as the church is concerned, we do not have any Levites in the church. We do not have to copy anything Levites do. You don't have to wear the shawl. You don't have to blow the shofar. You don't have to do any of those things that Israel was doing. Um, Can we learn some principles on prayer, intercession, and things from the Levitical priesthood? Yes, we can. But we do not have to copy them or emulate them. We are not Levites. When the Bible says you are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and a kingdom of priests, we are priests, but we're not priests after the order of the Levites. We're priests after the order of Melchizedek. It's a Melchizedek priesthood that the church is dealing with here. Uh, oh, and and oh, by the way, we're only priests only because we're in Christ. But Christ is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then he allows us to participate in intercession for the people. But we do not make sacrifice. We cannot sacrifice ourselves. And we cannot make sacrifice for the people. That's reserved for Christ and Christ alone. And when we teach people to apply the finished work of Christ in their life and in their heart, we're doing the the work of a priest after the order of Melchizedek in that sense. But we're pointing them to Christ, who is both the intercessor, the high priest, and the benefactor of all who put their hope in him. and we, But we direct people to Christ, never ever to ourselves. That's a huge no-no. So, that is what we mean when we talk about the priestly covenant. And again, that was to keep the hand of God away from the judging the people. The Levites had things that they had to do, yes. This one here is conditional on what the Levites do. They were given specific instructions. But that is now defunct because we are now going on to the New Covenant. And we'll see why that's defunct.
0: For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
1: Amen. That's when Christ established the new covenant. You can also find that in the Gospels as well. Um, yes, but you can find that in the Gospels. So what are we talking about here? This is the new covenant. It's when Christ established a new covenant covenant and the only thing he asked us to do was receive receive the body and his blood of course there's three different views of of the communion service um which i'll give them to you here in a minute but you can find this in matthew 26 verse 26 to 28 you can look in Luke, luke 22 verses 19 to 20 and you can also find it in in Mark's Gospel, the fourteenth chapter, verse twenty two and twenty-four. The institution of the Lord's supper, and he said, This is the blood of the new covenant. I will do a new thing. And under this new covenant, it it's it 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 rendered all the the, the covenant before it. It fulfilled all the covenants before it. He did it all for us. And so we don't need to go back to any of the old covenants. We don't need to go back to the Sinai covenant. We definitely don't want to run around claiming that thing. And by the way, Christ fulfilled all of that for us in him. Okay. Uh, And of course, he fulfilled the blessings of Abraham. He fulfilled the Davidic covenant. And he established a new priesthood. After the order of Melchizedek, which we will be getting back to the book of Hebrews next uh, podcast. And that's when we will start to look at the, a little bit deeper at the new covenant. But in each case, again, with the new covenant, other than receiving Christ, there's nothing else for us to do. There is no work, there is no action that you can take, uh, there's no law that you have to keep. In order to partake of the new covenant. It's a gift. And and we're going to talk about cheap grace. Because I don't believe in cheap grace either. But right now I want you to see that this gift is free. It's, it's free but it isn't cheap. Put it to you that way. It came at great cost. Uh, to the Lord to secure our salvation forever and forever. World without end. Amen. And so it took some doing. And so for that reason, uh, we don't want to cheapen it. But yes, it's free. And just because something is free doesn't mean it isn't costly. Debt has to be absorbed. If I owe you $1,000 and I come and ask you to forgive me of that $1,000 debt, that means you're just out of And you forgive me, that means you're willing to be out of $1,000. Debt had to be absorbed. Somebody has to pay the debt. In this case, a person forgiving the debt Is absorbing the debt. Okay, so it has to go somewhere. And so to be forgiven by God, it comes at great cost. Debt has to be absorbed. Who's going to pay for this mess that you and I have made? That Adam has made? And we've ratified Adam's decisions with our bad choices. Who's going to pay for this mess? Who's going to clean this thing up? Well, we can try to clean it up at best. But we can't fix it because no matter what we do, we're still going to have to be judged by God and be lost for all eternity. But in Christ and in Christ alone, because of his redemptive work, we now have salvation. There can be no greater study to me than to take time and look at the atonement and to see all the various aspects and shades of what Christ has done in the atonement. So let me just give you three basic things here christ in the atonement has delivered us from the penalty of sin this is what christ has done the penalty of sin so now the 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 penalty of sin the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through our lord jesus christ that's in uh, romans 6 23. all right then so if the wages of sin is death That's what we all deserve, you and I. Not the physical, we're all going to physically die. That's going to happen apart from the rapture of the church. We're all going to physically die. And so for that reason, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not just talking about physical death. We're talking about eternal death, being cut off for God forever and forever, being stuck at the great white throne judgment. You don't want to be at the, at the at the white throne judgment. That that's the one from which nobody you won't win. Let's put it to you that way. We'll all be lost. Anybody at the white throne judgment, you know you're going to hell. The saints get the judgment seat of Christ, but that's a whole different thing about rewards, etc., for the believer. But the white throne judgment, that's the final judgment, and you don't want to be there for that. You want to be on the other side sitting with Christ. And uh, when he judges the world, according to their works, and every man's going to get rewarded according to his works. That's definitely going to happen, uh, particularly for the sinner. But God in Christ has made a way for us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not, not, not of works not of works lest any man should boast in the sixth chapter of the gospel of john the people said what must we do that we can work the works of god and jesus said this is the work of god that you believe on him whom he has sent there's no work saints there's no amount of doing anything that's going to save us christ stands alone and he has delivered us from the power of sin and that was a work of jesus christ and we are not called to do anything for our salvation except just believe and trust in what he has done do you get that so he's delivered us from the penalty of sin secondly he has delivered us from the power of sin from the power of sin this has to do with your sanctification the bible says do not be conformed to this world but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind God will begin to renew your mind. He'll begin to balance your emotional life. He will begin to uh, empower your will and strengthen your will so that you can persevere. It's called the perseverance of the saints, that you persevere in your walk with God uh, all the way through of your life. Those are acts and works of the Holy Spirit. Now, sanctification is one of the few things that God does allow us to participate in, but we're not doing it to be saved. We're doing it because we are saved. And we can see growth in our life and, and see how we're getting stronger in the Lord. And I'll go to you, which this verse, uh, Ashley Dawn Hill has shared it, uh, the love subscribe, she shared it on one of her blog posts. And it just seemed like the Bible just opened up to me when I read it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's what it's, that's, you, know, I, you know, you read something all the time and you say to yourself, well, what does that even mean? And then surprise, it actually means something. So, let's look at Hebrews. I believe it is chapter 9 or 10. But Let's see here. And you scroll down here to about verse 14. Let's see if this is the right one. Yes, that's the right one. 10, 14 of Hebrews. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, if you're being sanctified by God, Know that in Christ, the, the, the efficacy of the blood, the power of his redemptive work is so powerful that it transcends space and time. So that no matter what we look at, look like right now as a being imperfect and not getting everything right all the time, which I know I do not, I'm the first one on that list. But with one offering, Christ's future tense past tense actually, has perfected for all time those who are present tense being sanctified. Your sanctification is in the bag. It's a sure thing. It's going to happen. And the, our perfection is guaranteed, but not because of me. It's because of Christ. I have not done anything. There's no work that I can do to, 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 to perf- that, that will make me perfect in the eyes of God. It is 100% the work of God. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Your eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's from Wesleyan hymn. And can it be that I should gain? All right. So listen, this is what the Bible talks about. This is what's going on here, saints. That sanctifying work of Christ. Now, yes, do we participate? Yes, we do. We There's some things that God may call us to do. But again, all of our efforts won't change unless the Holy Spirit is involved. That's my point. So even if you do something towards your sanctification, like get into the scriptures and read and pray and some of the other disciplines of being a disciple, it only has effectiveness because the Holy Spirit is driving us. And he's doing it and he's taking our feeble attempts and perfecting it. That's why it works, but it ain't because of me. Now, he delivers us from the power of sin. He delivers us from the, which is our sanctification. And one day, he will deliver us from the presence of sin. One day, look if you look at the 20th twentieth and 21st chapter of the book of Revelations, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. We'll be no sorrow anymore because I know we're going to have see some loved ones in hell that you we wish were there, but they're not going to make it. And God's going to comfort us. He's going to wipe away all the tears from our eyes. And we'll be able to begin a new life with Christ in the new Jerusalem. where Or wherever Christ is, there we will be. Because wherever he is, it's heaven. Now, right now, we die and we go to heaven because that's where he is. Wherever that is. But when the new Jerusalem comes down to earth and he's reigning and ruling on earth, guess where we are? We're here on earth. So that heaven thing is only temporary. But eventually, the New Jerusalem will come here, and wherever he is there, we will be with him. I'm not saying you're going to have to spend your whole time living in the New Jerusalem. I don't know what other things he may have for us to do. I kind of like to explore the galaxy, but again, I don't know. It'll be whatever he wants, because he alone is worthy and deserving of giving orders as to what happens and what doesn't happen. So we delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and from the presence of sin. Basic gospel. I'm not trying to be exhaustive here. I just want to give it your appetite and decide to do a little bit of thing on the covenants because we're going to move into Hebrews again. And all more detail will be coming out about what I just went over here with the covenants. But I wanted to give you a little background, a little understanding. You're going to whet your appetite. Go back, pick up your Bibles. If, if the one thing this podcast has, has done for you, at least... My hope is that you'll go back up and pick up your Bible and really study it and ask God to guide you. And if you don't know how to study it, you can go to the podcast with Chad Mansbridge. Uh, um, uh, You Can't Handle the Truth, get his book. It's one of the simplest layman's terms on how to study the Bible that I've ever read. It's it's excellent. And then also you can listen to a podcast I did on uh, how to sharpen your sword and to strengthen your, your time in the word of God. Uh, and so hopefully those two podcasts will help you and, you know, get you into the word. But I want to, my prayer is that people will get hungry and thirsty for the word of God and want to open their Bibles and read it and do some serious study. You know, uh, we live in an age now, you don't have to be a scholar anymore. Really? If you, if you do your homework, you can, you know, um, you can discover a lot of great stuff in the word of God, uh, just by doing your homework and putting in the time. So, put in the work, saints. You won't regret it. You will so not regret it. Let God arise, and let all his enemies be scattered. His wax melted before them, before the flame. Let them be melted. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus said, in the world you will have persecution, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And this is how we overcome the world, even our faith. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. Love that hymn. So, saints. Saints. Or your heads up high, square your shoulders, not in pride, but in confidence to know that God is going to get you there. If you have repented of your sins and, and asked Christ to forgive you of your sins. And, and have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ as both Lord and Master of your life. He's going to get you there. He will not. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why he established a new covenant. Because all covenants are just to keep God from killing us. So that even when we screw up, and we do, I like what uh, George Verber says, A great man of God said, he said, where two or three are gathered together in Jesus' name, there is a mess. It's not a straight line. Christian life is not a straight line, and there's a lot of parts of it get real messy, especially when you're dealing with other people in other fellowships and in churches. It can get It can get real messy sometimes because of interpersonal relationships. Relationships, etc. But nonetheless, I have this confidence. My anger holds steadfast and sure. Because of the new covenant, Christ has promised to get me there. Let God be true and every man a liar. God's going to get you there. Don't let these people tell you, oh, when a guy told me, oh, if you're in a Christian's heart. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you commit one sin, that's it. I was like, whoa, really? We don't have a jump out Jesus, saints. And I'm not condoning sin and not telling anybody to go and sin. You'd be a fool if you did. But I'm just simply saying, when we do mess up, because it does happen, we have an advocate with the Father. And we can come to him in repentance and faith. And Christ will forgive. And he will cleanse. And he will get us there via the work of the holy spirit so we're going to get into hebrews again and we're going to delve into this whole thing of how christ has perfected and the the, why the new covenant is was way better than the old covenant stop blabbing and grabbing naming and claiming deuteronomy 28 because the only the only conclusion with that one is the curses. Because you're not going to live perfectly. Not going to happen. If it were possible. He wouldn't need the new covenant. Yeah. Deuteronomy 28 doesn't apply to us. I know I keep saying it. Because I want to hammer that. Because word of faith got people all hyped up. Thinking that this is what. Um, you know. Is promised to us. And and by the way. that was a, God was talking to a nation of Israel. He wasn't even talking to us. Thank God. So nation of Israel, let them deal with that. Let God deal with them how he wants to deal with them. But this is how he's dealing with us, under the new covenant. That's where I sit. That's the one I claim to be under. The others are of no consequence to me. And only in so much as they point me to Christ. That's it. God bless. Well, thank you for listening to this very short, well I say short anyway, abbreviated version of the sword and the spirit. There'll be more to come and uh, we're going to start going back into the book of Hebrews and we're doing some more exposition. I didn't do a lot, I I kept this very extremely light just to whet your appetite and set you up for going back into the book of Hebrews, but I didn't want to go into, going to come down too heavy uh, today. But uh, we're going to get into it um, Next podcast When we begin to go back to the book of Hebrews And begin to see The importance of the New Covenant And the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek uh, Because so many saints are living Are trying to live under Levitical law If you don't understand how to read the Old Testament You're going to end up with nonsense And you're going to end up claiming things that God doesn't want you to Most of the things in the Old Testament are Descriptive, just telling you What happened, it's not prescriptive It's not saying you have to copy that. But you got saints running around with prayer shawls You got saints running around, blowing show And doing everything else And I'm like Okay, we're not Israel So, and I'm not anti-Semitic God knows I believe in supporting the nation of Israel God said I'll bless those who bless you And curse them and curses you So I'm a proponent of being A blessing to the nation of Israel And to to the Jewish nation I I get it Uh, But I'm just saying we're just different And God has called us to do some things that That are slightly different So let's let Israel be Israel And let the church be the church And let the church say Amen So thank you for listening I am deeply appreciative of anybody Who takes any amount of time out of their day To listen to this podcast From this poor man and god bless you thank you and my prayers that i said something that is helpful to you and helping you to grow in the lord um so please go to spotify like subscribe and share on spotify um i have one podcast i did the 100th episode on youtube and that was on church the next generation and I will be doing some more on YouTube. I'm just trying to find out, uh, guess, what's the best streaming service to use. Um, once I get that set up, you will see this. Will, I'll still be on Spotify, but I'm also going to be on YouTube as well. In addition to that, I'm on Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, uh, to name a few. So. Uh, If you can't get it out there off of Spotify, whichever, whichever platform you use, just please like, subscribe, and share. That's all I ask. God bless you and thank you for listening to the sword and the spirit. God bless.